Jade Software presents Beta and Beyond, the RegTech Modernization Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Beta and Beyond. I'm your host, Michael Howard. Today, we're joined by Harry O'Connor, the CTO and co-founder of Catalyst, the stock exchange for SMEs in New Zealand. Welcome to the show, Harry. Thank you for having me. No worries. First up, can you give us an overview of Catalyst and how that came about? Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, Catalyst is a stock exchange for small to medium-sized businesses. Um, so we categorize that as any business between, or we can onboard businesses between five and 60 million market cap and can support them up to 100 million market cap um, before we transition them onto a uh, more traditional public stock exchange. So whether that's an ASX or an NZX, um, and we have both uh, public market and private markets, um, both using the sort of the same auction mechanisms. Um, now, the story of Catalyst uh, started with uh, my co-founder, Colin uh, McGee. He um, used to be head of conduct at the Financial Markets Authority, uh, which is the regulator for financial markets in New Zealand. Um, and, you know, during his, his time there, he's uh, had a lot of companies coming up to him wanting to raise capital from the general public. Um, and sort of, you know, there was no real way for these types of companies to go and do it other than, you know, listing on on the NZX. Um, and for, for lots of these companies, you know, the compliance uh, burden is, is just too high and it's too costly. Um, and so, it, yeah, sort of mid-2018, um, he he left and went to sort of figure out how would we design this, this type of market. Um, and I was introduced to to Colin um, mid-2019 and uh, yeah, he needed a technical co-founder to sort of help build out the product um, and yeah, so I've been been uh, foot to the floor ever since then, um, helping build out the team and yeah, designing um, a completely sort of end-to-end SaaS product that is also a, a publicly uh, listed stock exchange. <laughs> nice. Yeah, there's um, plenty of people with ideas, but um, needing that technical expertise to actually get off the ground is is one of the biggest hurdles, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I I don't have, you know, any legal expertise at all. Um, (laughs) And so it's a really, yeah, really good combination. Um, And yeah, I think we've been able to build something pretty special. Yeah, it's nice to work with at all. Um, What challenges um, do CTOs face when building out their engineering teams? Yeah, um, so I mean, we're still a pretty small company, and so we've uh, only got a, a team of three. Uh, so it's myself and two other developers on the on the um, on the product side. Um, but yeah, so finding like skilled talent in New Zealand who like genuinely care about what they are building um, is, is quite a challenge. You know, there's lots of people out there who are, you know, wanting to sort of just get involved in a um, in a tech company and, you know, are interested in the tech, but um, not necessarily as much about the product um and yeah we, we think that's a, a very important thing um and you know in a business like this attention to detail is hugely important and so you really um need to care about what what you're building um and you know another thing is um making sure that you know when you do onboard people um that you, you know uh, you maintain consistent coding styles and patterns because uh, you know everyone's got different backgrounds and different ways of approaching problems and so on um, and you know so we try to keep like pretty repeatable patterns and you know uh, compo- component structures and things like that. Okay uh, reflecting on your experience and what you've also been hearing in the market mm. what are the types of risks the businesses consider uh, when weighing up their technology investments? Yeah um, so 
are we able to sort of find skilled developers with experience in our particular stack, which is always a, a tricky thing. Um, and so actually to give you a little bit of background, uh, the version one of our platform, um, a lot of the uh, back end of the auction and securities logic uh, was running on Ethereum smart contracts. Um, and we ended up migrating this uh, logic into uh, API and databases um, after, you know, basically struggling to find uh, people who were able to, to build with this tech. Um, and also there's, you know, some other sort of performance related issues uh, to that. Um, and so that was uh, something that, yeah, was a little bit of a challenge to overcome. Um, and we sort of just deemed it too risky uh, from the business point of view um, to, to, to continue down that route. Um, and another one is, you know, will developers enjoy working with our stack and using our technologies um, and, you know, building on on Ethereum at the moment is sort of building like, um, it's, it's like being a web developer in the mid nineties. Like, you know, the amount of documentation is pretty is pretty thin. Um, it's, it's a bit of the wild west and yeah, there's not, not that many developer tools uh, that are out there at the moment. Um, and so, yeah, just choosing modern frameworks and tools that make uh, life a bit easier for developers and, you know, like streamlining uh, deployment processes. So we use like um, GitHub Actions and um, which, you know, goes through and sort of builds the Docker image and sends off to, to CloudFormation and so on. And so just sort of streamlining and making, you know, developer, um, the developer experience a, a little bit uh, easier. Mm. Um, and then there's also, so going back to the, the, the risks, um, so there's always going to be a trade-off between like what's going to improve the user experience with versus what's going to improve uh, the admin experience. Yeah. Um, and so our, yeah, our product requires like quite a lot of business oversight and lots of um, yeah, bespoke admin tools that we need to build um, or, and also have built. Um, and, you know, this just sort of helps automate different business processes. Um, but also as a startup, like the customer facing product is still like our, our main priority. and you know, one of the main questions is, you know, could could this make the customer's life easier and reduce friction um, you know, of their experience of Catalyst, basically? Um, and, you know, would this system slash feature work if we hit massive scale overnight? Um, it's sort of always in the back of your mind, but like mm. our expectations aren't hyper growth. Uh, and New, New Zealand is a relatively small market. Um, and also, you know, when, when you're considering scale, it's not just on the tech side, but, you know, with the business slash, you know, I guess admin processes uh, also be able to keep up. Um, and I guess the final point to that is, are the regulators likely to be comfortable with the, this decision, right? Like, so um, any changes to the way that like core functionality or the trading settlement has to be approved by our board in the FMA, um, but other features such as like displaying extra information or, you know, even the way that you phrase uh, like language on the website and images and, th and things like that, um, you need to think through how would the regulator view or interpret this? Um, and, you know, Colin's <laughs> in a very qualified position to, to help make that judgment. And so, um, yeah, he gives uh, quite a lot of advice around that stuff, which is really, really helpful. Yeah, it's true. That's um, one thing that I was thinking of before as well. Um, in terms of the Ethereum contracts that you were using, um, yep. What was the FMA's position on these here? Have they have they worked something yet? Um, like, what was the guidance that you had from them? They don't really mind as long as the tech say does what it's what you say it does. Mm -hmm. um, they don't really mind how it's implemented, um, and so yeah, it was it wasn't even a, a discussion point. 
Um, I don't know how they feel about the the whole sort of tokenization space in general. Mm. Um, but for us, it was basically just like a, a heavily modified ERC twenty style contract um, that basically like you know each security represented one share and um, well sorry each token represented one share in the companies um, and so on and there's a whole bunch of yeah extra logic around that um, and, and the way that you, you store the ownership and so on um, and I do you know still believe that that's where the world is heading it's just you know <laughs> obviously uh, the tech is is not quite at the stage where it's fully scalable yet um, but you know the more time you spend in the space the more um, sort of yeah, impressed you become with what what's on the horizon and all of the different you know institutions and, and parties that are involved with with developing that whole that whole ecosystem mm. so we'll watch the space then I, I guess yes yes yeah. for sure and it's not to say that we wouldn't revisit something like that further down the line but it was far too much of a, a business risk um, at the stage and you know we can do, we, let's do like legal innovation first and then we can <laughs> start to focus on more more sort of technical innovation uh, later down the line if we need to well, for sure um so you've touched on a few a bit of this already but what pressures are technology leaders under to ensure businesses comply with these regulations yeah um i'm so one of the main ones that pretty much all financial companies have to um, abide by is uh, maintaining aml compliance uh, for all of your different users and, and participants um, and so we've got quite a few different user types. Um, so everything from you know your, your standard retail investor to um, you know ordinary trusts to corporate trusts and nominees and things like that, um, as well as obviously the issuer, so the company that issues the securities. Um, and so all of them have like slightly different AML requirements. Um, and so yeah, we've um, our CFO Andrew. He's a, um, a chartered accountant with a specialty in AML um, and he's uh, helped us sort of guide and refine our onboarding processes and and so on to make sure that you know we are fully compliant uh, for, for all of those different types of um, all those different types of users um, and I guess yeah the other one is sort of keeping on the correct side of the regulators at all times so in our case our regulator is the Financial Markets Authority um, and yeah it's like one of the most important <laughs> things in our business is to make sure that um, we keep on the right side of them um, and we sort of yeah make sure that we don't take any risks or make any sort of false assumptions um, and yeah that's um, but yeah the pressures um, yeah uh, strong um but it doesn't prevent you from you know d d doing your job properly yeah sure um so you you touched on aml or anti-money laundering um compliance mm. which is more or less of a, a tick box exercise which is <laughs> very simplified um yeah. i'd be interested to know what role technology sort of plays um with this part of your business yeah sure um so on the onboarding process um we have you know sort of standard questions that you know pretty much everyone else uh, asks so like you know what's your name um you know full legal name date of birth id so like drive's license or passport um all of this sort of goes through a whole bunch of validation processes once that form has been submitted 
um, and then get sent off to uh, Centrix, which is a sort of, you know identity provider that have access to lots of different government databases and can kind of basically send back a result about whether it passes or fails and gives the reason uh, why it fails and so on. And then there's a whole bunch of extra sort of manual um, processes to help onboard that customer if that result comes back as as failed. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty streamlined process. And so um, m most customers should have a fully yeah, automated <laughs> um, uh, onboarding process that you know hopefully takes a few a few minutes um, and you can get a response back once you've submitted the form within a few seconds. And cool. yeah, w once you're AML verified, you're then able to you know, participate in our markets. And um, do you, is that something that has to be done regularly um, or is it a one-off? Uh, it's a one-off and then there's a review as a review period for um, for those investors. I think it's two years is our current one. Okay. Um, and yeah, then there's a, whole, there's a whole bunch of documentation about how we go about doing that as well. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, what are the drivers then when it comes to building out your technology roadmap? Yeah. Um, so I guess, is it, is it going to improve the customer experience? Um, and one of the one of the parts is of that is is this going to help create a healthier financial market? Um, so we've you know added features of uh, ways of displaying the order book. Um, so rather than displaying like the entire order book, we show um, the the price at which the current uh, securities are at, and then either side um, we have you know, um, an, an upper range and then a lower range um, of, you know, cumulative buy and cumulative sell and so on. Um, and then we've also got this uh, auto improving order logic that we've um, we've added in uh, over the past few months, uh, which, you know, helps increase the stability of that market. Um, and yeah, is this also yeah, going to reduce friction for a particular group of users and can we make life easier for that user group? So whether that's investors or trusts or issuers or, or whoever. Yeah, cool. Um, you also made the mention of admin versus the, um, the, the customer as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, investing in both those um, sides of the business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're both important. Um, but yeah, as a startup, we still have to make sure that the customer has, has the best experience first. And um, we can, we, you know, we we do have business processes processes for all of the stuff behind the scenes. But it's mm -hmm. nice if we could, we can uh, increasingly automate as many of them as we can just to make our lives a bit easier. But um, yeah, certainly customer comes first always. Very cool. Um, what weighting do you put on technology projects that? focus on customer experiences versus meeting regulation? Yeah, um, so yeah, it is a little bit of a balance, um, but I don't think it's true that strict compliance means that, you know, you, you can't have a great product or user experience. Um, and, you know, it is also important to remember that like all competitors' products also must, buy it, must abide by those same regulations, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, good. I'd say that certain companies pushed um, pushed the line a little bit further than than us. Um, we were trying to be as, as you know as conservative as possible uh, while still you know creating that that great user experience. Um, 
but yeah it's um yeah a lot about meeting regulations sort of how you communicate your products and service to the user um and you know the regulator might view it in one particular way whereas you know you view it in another way but it's yeah we try to sort of keep that as aligned as possible mm. uh, yeah which can be a, a bit of a tricky thing to do but a lot of it is just down to the uh, communication of what is your product and service and just making sure that like the user's expectations um that yeah your product meets those users expectations um and that there's nothing misleading or um or strange going on behind the scenes and that you know everything is very clearly communicated um yeah yeah um it just had me uh sort of triggered something um, new zealand's yeah. made up of majority um, of small to sm or small businesses really uh, smes yeah. um and just thinking a, a service like catalyst is obviously helping support grow and fund the expansion um, and success of these businesses so that's also something to um to keep in mind as well at the same time isn't it yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and you know a lot of um a lot of companies in the space um you know, there's certain um, uh, requirements that you have to meet before you're able to list on our on our public market. Um, and so there's quite a lot of, you know, documentation and things that you have to go through and fill out. But your company does have to be at a certain stage. You can't just sort of, you know, it's not, we're not opening it to sort of absolutely every single uh, company in New Zealand. And, you know, we can help work with these these companies to make sure that they, they meet the right compliance. But um, because a lot of these companies have never even, you know, considered because there hasn't been the option of, of being publicly traded um they don't have a lot of uh of that documentation ready um and so yeah it is a little bit of a process to make sure that um those companies um yeah are fully compliant before before they list Very cool. um are there any new technology trends coming up that could change the game and if so any insight into how yeah um so the yeah, as I sort of mentioned before, that whole world of um, yeah, Ethereum and smart contracts and just decentralized finance in general um, is quite a is quite an interesting space, and it's certainly um, got a lot of momentum overseas with different institutions um, sort of you know running like consortium chains and things like that. So yeah, you've got a, a real variety of of people running things on public um, on on fully open public chains and people running it on private consortium chains. Uh, like JP Morgan uh, has their has their JPM coin, which runs on Quorum, which is basically like a it's like a forked version um, of of Ethereum, um, and it's to yeah basically yeah. my understanding is that it's, it's designed to basically replace uh, Swift. So like just between institutions uh, and the ways that they settle, um, and so there's a whole lot of uh, interesting work going on in that space. Um, much much more than just you know people trading it and things like that and all that that rubbish that sort of grabs headlines um, but there's a lot of interesting things happening um, happening behind the scenes and yeah I, I, I do truly believe that um, pretty much every single asset will be tokenized over time um, and you know securitization is not really a new thing um, but the ability to sort of openly transact and you know openly borrow against those those assets um in a digital space is, is quite an, an interesting and new thing um so yeah there's that whole world and then uh the other one which is a little bit 
uh, I guess, smaller and may end up being replaced by um, that whole world is banking APIs. Um, and so open banking has is, is taken off in, uh, in other parts of the world, mostly due to, to regulators. Um, uh, yeah, essentially requiring banks to meet certain standards. Um, and so the, the UK was was the first main one um, overseas. And I think Australia has been talking about it, but I don't know if there's any um, any regulations in place at the moment. Um, and yeah, New Zealand banks, <laughs> um, yeah, our, our tech and APIs aren't um, aren't even yeah, remotely close to the um, to some of those overseas banks, mm. um, and it's it's a real shame because it would improve it would help us improve the customer experience a lot um, because you know we've got quite a lot of uh, difficult settlement processes, um, and so yeah for us to be able to provide a really streamlined settlement process that sort of de-risks it on our side and also de-risks it on the customer's side. Um, yeah, it would be really helpful to have those APIs, but um, I, I'm under the impression that banks will not do that until they're forced uh, by the by the regulators. Um, so, yeah. So you don't have to name any names and um, there mm -hmm. may not be uh, any, but um, have you been having conversations with any banks to, um, yeah. to look into this? Yes, yes, we have. Um, and <laughs> we're on a short list. Um, so once there's once there are <laughs> um, Sort of early stage and possibly even like you know pre-alpha, um, we can start playing around uh, with those. But uh, yeah, until that until that day comes, um, my, my fingers are still <laughs> still crossed that, uh, that 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 day does actually come. Yeah, sure. Um, so that's from a technology perspective. How about mm. from a customer trend? Um, are there any of those coming up that worth taking note of um, within the industry? Yeah, um, so in our industry, um, there's obviously been it's yeah certainly at the, at the beginning of the year is when it went uh, fully mainstream and got in, in all the headlines. But uh, yeah, international retail investment is has gone fully mainstream, um, and you know the amount of people who are now in different jurisdictions who are now participating, and particularly uh, the U.S. equity market is is pretty substantial. Um, and this is, you know, that combined with like the amount of stimulus that's flowed into those markets has meant that, you know, you've had a pretty, pretty large amount of um, of growth over the, past, um, over the past year after that initial dip in when that was April, March, April last year. Mm. Um, and yes, there's this sort of whole um, Wall Street bets and meme stocks um, <laughs> movement that that's that's well underway. Um, but even yeah, even if you ignore those extremes, there's still a lot of people who have, you know, particularly in New Zealand, who have you know gone and signed up with um, with brokers like Sharesies and um, you know Hatch and and all of those different services. Um, and yeah, it's it's a really positive trend uh, to see. And a lot of it is uh, yeah a younger sort of millennial and under generation who I think have um, felt generally pretty priced out of um lots of other asset classes like <laughs> houses um and yeah locked out of that opportunity for wealth generation and so they're just looking at, at, at other alternatives um and interest rates are so ridiculously low that you know you're pretty much losing money if you <laughs> if you keep it in your a uh, savings account and so yeah i think a lot of people are starting to realize this and um 
yeah, ju- ju- jumping on these uh, these trends that are happening internationally. Mm. Um, there's also, um, from what I've been hearing as well, um, a ton of VC money that people just don't know what to do with. Um, so is that going to be impacting with what you're doing at all, or are you um, focusing just staying into the retail side of things? Yeah, um, so we um yeah we service both right so there is institutional uh, money that is um yeah that that's able to um be put into these companies through our exchange and we've got different partners that allow that um but yeah we, we really uh believe in, in, in a hybrid model where there is both institutional and retail money uh, in these companies um and institutions can sometimes be a little bit picky with with what they invest in, um, maybe more so than retail. Um, and yeah, so yeah, we, we absolutely have um, some of those institutions in, um, on board. And it's not just like, um, it's not just venture capital funds, it's um, you know, it's all different types of, of funds and, you know, even sort of more conservative, like KiwiSaver styled funds um, that are looking at participating in our market, which is very exciting. Um, and yeah, it's going to help, hopefully, yeah, um, unlock an entirely like new asset class uh, for New Zealand. Um, so yeah, it is very exciting. It's 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 great work. Um, lastly, was there anything from our chat that we've just had that you want to revisit, clarify, or elaborate on? Uh, no, nothing really in particular. Um, do you have any other further further questions or anything that you'd like me to talk about? No, I think um, it sort of wraps up the the main things that I wanted to cover today. Um, mm-hmm. You guys are doing a, an awesome job um, there, and like you're saying, unlocking that um, additional asset class and helping New Zealanders that are dipping into their own pockets to start businesses and and grow those up the blood, sweat, yeah. and tears, if you will. Um, it, it's great to to support them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and yeah, we uh, we look forward to the to the coming years and seeing um yeah how we're able to help grow this market very nice well thanks for joining us on the episode today harry no no worries thank you for having me cool and everyone else thanks for joining us too if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes feel free to reach out to us on linkedin or on our website until then stay tuned for the next episode of bedroom beyond cheers